Hello and welcome to episode 52 of Glitch Report. My name is Nitwit. Thank you so much for stopping by, saying hi, kicking it with me today on the stream. If you're watching this live over at twitch.tv slash nitwit, thank you so much for watching the YouTube video and for downloading the audio version of this podcast available wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Well, I was going to say iTunes, but iTunes now is Apple Podcasts. Uh, just, you know, you're here. You made it. You're good. It is whatever day it is, wherever you are, whenever you are. Uh, though for me, it is Thursday morning and we have a hell of a show for you today. It's kind of verifying uh, some news articles, seeing if anything else has dropped. That's a maybe we'll talk about that. But basically, we're we're in it, man. We are here. The news is uh, news is upon us and there is a huge amount of stuff to talk about. Um, a ton of news as it relates to Microsoft and the Activision acquisition. We're going to talk about that. Mostly as it relates to the FTC, as well as some of their, uh, you know, investigations in the UK. Got some Need for Speed um, potential remake rumors going around. We're going to talk a little bit about Diablo 4, some Naughty Dog news. It is, I would say, for the most part, lean around these parts. Like, if it wasn't for uh, Microsoft trying to buy Activision Blizzard... There would not be a lot of news to talk about, but I think the biggest news story came out was a, uh, was a report, um, that came out about kind of ownership of games. Um, uh, this was kind of put out by the video game history foundation. But if you remember, we had a conversation last week about a uh, digital game ownership, right? You know, the, the, you know, the idea going around is that Sony is eventually going to put out a digital only version of the PlayStation five and, you know, kind of the belief, or at least the, the belief that I have is that that is going to be the road that Sony's going to go down for the rest of physical consoles. The idea that, uh, you would have a digital console and then you would potentially have something like a disc drive. Um, you know, sold separate, attached to the USB-C port in the, you know, whatever, right? Now, I'm not saying that that's going to happen for, uh, you know, companies like uh, Nintendo, but I think in the case of both Sony and Microsoft, that is probably the future of um, ownership, right? In terms of what is physically available on those consoles. Not only that, but... Um, Perhaps a belief that, you know, we're eventually only going to own digital games, right? Or that, you know, a third, a quarter, you know, if we're not already close to that reality of game ownership is going to come from physical sales of games, the rest will be digital only. But what about games that maybe weren't originally available digitally? What about games that, you know, for example, came out in the last, I don't know, 10 years or more, right? That's kind of the concern that is going around right now, especially as it relates to what the Video Game History Foundation has to say. Uh, in partnership with Software Preservation Network, there is a claim, they've made this claim, that 87% of classic video games released in the United States are are, quote, critically endangered. 
Now that might sound a little bit dramatic to maybe describe, um, you know, video games as being as endangered as, I don't know, the Dodo bird, for example, but they have backed it up. They've backed this claim up. They've backed that ass up, so to speak, um, with some pretty damning, uh, findings here. I'm getting this new story out of video games chronicles shout out to video games chronicles let's uh let's read it a study conducted by the two groups found that across a sample of games released prior to 2010 a small fraction of them were were still in circulation from re-releases for example from the sample of commodore 64 games tested only 4.5 percent of them were still purchase purchasable on modern digital storefronts across the Game Boy family of systems only 5.8%. This figure was far higher prior to the shutdown of the Wii U and 3DS eShop which resulted in the only games available for those systems largely being locked behind Nintendo's online service. So very quickly they're saying can you buy this and also are you buying this without some sort of subscription service? Um, this is a quote from the study itself, quote, imagine if the only way to watch Titanic was to find a used VHS tape and maintain your own vintage equipment so that you could still watch it. And what if no library, not even the library of Congress could do any better. They could, um, they could keep. And what if, sorry. And let's read that again. And what if no library, not even the Library of Congress, could do any better? They could keep and digitize that VHS of Titanic, but you'd have to go all the way there to watch it. It sounds crazy, but that's the reality we live in with video games. A $180 billion industry while the games and their history disappear. The study looked to grant further exemptions to libraries and organizations when it comes to the preserving of video games. Currently, most archives and are permitted to digitally preserve content. But in order to play this old content legally, there is an exception for fans to maintain sometimes decades old equipment. So the idea being they might be able to digitize this old game, but the expectation is that if you are going to legally play this game, you have to fire up your Commodore 64, your Amiga, your uh, Amiga, <laughs> Amiga, um, your Intellivision, your whatever, right? Um, in order to do that. Now, this piece of legislation that dictates how classic games are preserved and accessed, um, is related to the digital millennium copyright act, uh, which is set to be reexamined in 2024. So potentially they might be able to reexamine the DMCA and say, you know what? Um, these games are not readily available. So if you can get your hands on them in some way, shape or form, um, without necessarily maintaining a 20 year old PlayStation one, um, fine, more power to you. For example, a video game history foundation says, quote, we're hopeful that this study will incite change and that video game preservation will become stronger before we lose more. And then finally wrapping it up by saying, I hope this study wakes people up for years. We've known that the availability of classic games in a legal safe way has been dire, but no one has ever put a number to that. Said Frank Cifaldi, co-director of video games, history foundation. Shout out to Frank Cifaldi. First of all, um, the results are worse than probably any other 
medium. 87% of classic video games are in critically endangered. Um, for the record, that's actually not too far off from uh, where uh, the film industry is at with uh, silent movies and things like that. So video games are doing about as bad of a job as you could possibly imagine uh, maintaining their history and making that history accessible to, to everybody. Right. It's, you know, I'm glad they point this out because they're fucking the worst at it. And I'm not trying to pick on them, but they are probably one of the companies forget it not one of they have the biggest impact on gaming history of all companies nintendo and keep in mind that they mentioned that before we hit 5.8 percent uh accessibility for game boy uh games on the game boy family of systems it was much higher when you could digitally buy those games on the wii u and nintendo 3ds digital storefronts but those storefronts went away they never added them to the Nintendo Switch uh, digital library uh, or digital storefront. Excuse me. They never added it to, um, uh, you know, Nintendo's um, online subscription service. And here we are legally. And again, all of this is talking about the legal ownership of games and your ability to play them. And again, the legal definition is that you own the game and you own the hardware that it takes to play them. Now, this does not count emulation. And this is where, you know, the DMCA might be able to change to, you know, better reflect the world in which we live in. I'll give you an example. If you want to play Game Boy games at this point in time, it is probably easier for you to download the Game Boy emulation software and run it on your computer. It does not have to be necessarily super powerful computer, though. Keep in mind that some consoles, especially the more modern consoles, do demand a much faster computer to try to emulate uh, the ability to play those games in an accurate manner. For example, you probably can't use the fucking computer at the library uh, to run. And I'm not saying you would do this at a library anyways, but I'm just saying you cannot use the library computer to run a bunch of PlayStation three and Xbox 360 games and emulate them. There's no, absolutely not. But the other thing is that so currently so much of emulation is considered illegal, right? Because Sony owns the, the software that was built into the PlayStation two, the BIOS that allows you to go play Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3. So even if you put the way that they do this, first of all, you talked about, they talked about digitizing a Commodore 64 game. How the fuck do they do that? There is hardware that you can buy per game system that allows you to take that game, plug it into some sort of external drive of some kind, depending on the console, plug that drive into a computer and use software to digitize that game. So the assumption would be that even that if you owned for, we'll use the PS2 as an example. If I owned fucking Tony Hawk's pro skater three for the PlayStation two legally, even if I, um, 
digitized that game that I own, I still don't own the right to emulate that game because of how Sony owns um, the software and hardware that worked in tandem to run PlayStation 2 games. That is where we're at. That is where we're at. Listen, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a legal expert, but basically you can own the game and you can digitize the game, but you own no way of emulating the console itself. That is where a lot of this shit gets super illegal. Now, the other thing is that, and I'm just going to say this, a lot of people have already digitized a lot of those games, whether it's Nintendo or Super Nintendo or PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2, Game Boy, you fucking name it. If there's a game out there from your childhood, whatever, again, we'll use PlayStation as an example. If you wanted to play the original Resident Evil on a from the PlayStation 1 version, not the fucking remake or remaster or whatever, I'm talking original Resident Evil. And you did not legally own a copy of Resident Evil. Uh, but you wanted it digitized, of course, so you could run it on emulation software on your computer. That shit is out there, dog. Like that shit is available. There's no like you do not need to go to the game store and then buy the hardware to do it yourself. That shit is out there. But of course, you're downloading something that isn't technically yours because it's not your copy. So therefore, it is illegal. So we're running into this issue where there are too many hoops for people to jump through uh, too many legal or uh, hoops for people to jump through um, to allow them to legally play old games. But on top of that, they have not made these games readily accessible on a lot of modern consoles. People give a lot of these companies way too much shit and, 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 and rightfully so. And rightfully so. Just, just hear me out. People give a lot of these companies shit for remaking, remastering, and re-releasing a lot of old games. Now, sometimes... These remakes and remasters, if they're doing a lot of work to them, sometimes it's shitty. Sometimes it sucks. Sometimes it misrepresents what the game originally was, right? Say what you will about Final Fantasy VII Remake. But if you fucking hate it, at least you can go buy and play the original Final Fantasy VII from the PlayStation 1 and you can run it on a PlayStation 5, right? To give Square Enix credit... You can go do that, right? But, you know, you might think, well, why would I give them money? And this is where, like, the where this is where it becomes piracy, right? How much is Final Fantasy VII? I'm just going to look it up on Steam. Just, just hear me out for just a moment here. How much is Final Fantasy VII? Fantasy VII. So Final Fantasy VII is about 17, the original version of the game, not the remake, is $17 on uh, Steam. Now you might be arguing, well, fuck, fuck Square Enix. I don't want to pay $17 to play an old video game. The game should be a lot cheaper. This is where some people decide that they have more time than money and they decide to pirate the game and then run it on an emulator. But I think a world in which there are only, I would say, like 
keep in mind that a lot of games were done in some sort of licensing deal, right? So I'm sorry if you can't go play the original, you know, uh, game based off the Tim Burton Batman movie, but there are so many lawyers involved um, that Warner Brothers or whoever originally put out that game and whoever owns the rights to that stuff now probably isn't going to jump through that many hoops for you to go play a game based off a movie or whatever, right? But still, $180 billion industry and the best we can do is 5.8% of Game Boy games available digitally. Forget the part where you physically own this stuff, right? Physically owning it doesn't actually help you, right? Because they're saying, oh, well, you know, if you don't own the console to play it on, if your console doesn't work too bad, that's, that's, that's back to being piracy. That's back to being illegal. Now, I'm not saying go out there and be a pirate. I'm not saying go out there and do whatever, right? I'm not saying go give Square Enix or Capcom or Sony a bunch of money to go play an old video game that you maybe already own in a legal capacity somewhere else. I'm just saying that we should consider, you know, what it means for some of these games to get re-releases, you know, what it means for some of these games to be uh, available, right? Because there is... Far 87, like a small fraction. We're talking 2010. It is 2023, y'all. Games have been out for a very long time. And you mean to tell me that 87% of them are critically endangered? A vast majority of them are critically that, like, we ever look at like the history of life on Earth and see that like fucking everything before us has already become extinct because we've been on this planet for so like life on, not we life on this planet has been around so long like that is where we're at with games but it's over the span of like 40 years that's fucking insane it's insane so you can go ahead and hold on to those copies of those physical editions of games until your fucking arms go tired but if you don't own and maintain those consoles what are you gonna do I know what I'm going to do. I know I'm not going to say one way or the other. All I'm saying is I think I know how I plan on playing a majority of old video games going forward. And I am willing to change the way that I consume and play old video games. If something better comes along, if for example, game pass or PlayStation plus or Nintendo subscription service does a fucking better job of, you know, offering that incredible amount of history. Just think about the games that Sony put out on the PlayStation one. Just think about Sony's games, right? And what, how many of them are on PlayStation plus, right? Oh, well you have to buy the expensive tier. Okay, fine. You know, I go buy the expensive tier of PlayStation plus how many of the Sony's classic games am I really getting on PlayStation plus? It's not 87% of them. There's nowhere close to that. We're going to, we're going to take a quick break. <laughs> we're going to take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk uh, Microsoft versus the FTC and the CMA and so much more. So stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for hanging out. I continue to be your host, Nitwit. Uh, real quick, uh, EA Sports has announced and confirmed UFC 5. This is a really quick news story. Uh, full reveal will be happening in September. 
This is the uh, first UFC game in uh, about three years. Uh, it, may, it might not come out until 2024, but the last UFC game, UFC 4, was put out back in 2020. Before that, you know, EA had a history of boxing games, and you know, before the UFC. Um, EA was making boxing games back when uh, THQ was making the UFC game. So UFC has a, you know, had a, at this point, a relatively long history of, uh, of games. And I've, I've thought that for the most part, those UFC games have been pretty good. I am not a big boxing game. We're going to, we're going to talk boxing in a little bit here. I am not a big boxing guy. I am, but I would also not call myself a big UFC guy. Me, you know, me, if you've been listening to this podcast, you know me, I know I'm all about the sweet science of grappling, pro wrestling, except for maybe, uh, Except for maybe uh, AEW fight forever. But, you know, we used to have a cadency of about every two years, EA was going to put out a um, a new UFC game. So that was kind of the cadence is every two years, typically around like March or early spring, I want to say early spring is usually when a new UFC game would come out. So full reveal for UFC, UFC 5 happening 2023. But I was going to say like, for the most part, I think those UFC games have been good. You know, obviously it is a complicated combination of uh, of strikes and grapples and then of course a variety of game modes and character customization and online play and stuff like that to basically support it. But basically what you're looking at is um you know, half well, I mean, depends on how you play the game. Like I I I, I couldn't tell you how you, you know. And I've not played a UFC game in some time, but in the past, it's typically been a combination of, you know, strikes, um, the, 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 the melee combat for, for lack of a better word in UFC has kind of felt a lot like Tekken, right? You're sidestepping, you're, you're, you know, dodging from the back or the left or the right up, down, whatever. And then you have your left and your right, um, punches and kicks typically, or was it strong and light? kicks and punches. I don't remember exactly, but that was kind of the, it, you know, if you looked at uh, Tekken being played and you looked at UFC being played, even though they're, you know, ah, honestly, very different games. Um, only one of them has bullet club t-shirts in it. So I should, you know, and you can, you know, the better one has it um, as far as I'm concerned, but it was, you looked at them and you'd be like, Oh, okay. Right. But then once you started getting into your grapples and your submissions, it became a very, very different game in, in the case of UFC. Um, I don't know what they plan on doing. They did not announce a cover athlete or anything like that. Um, so I really couldn't say, but you know, if you're wondering, Hey man, how come EA sports who used to make fight night? Um, how come they don't make uh, boxing anymore? The, the, the fight night boxing games anymore. It's because nobody cares about boxing. And I know that sounds harsh, but if you really think about, um, the, the popularity of UFC um, and the popularity of boxing and what a massive company like EA can do to support their sports franchises. Not making fight night makes the most amount of sense. EA would almost be better off, you know, uh, or potentially better off not making anything than making fight night because it would just sell so poorly compared to uh, the UFC games, right? Because UFC fucking runs the world of combat sports, right? 
you know, it, it wasn't boxing or it wasn't, you know, the, the, any, some sort of boxing association that decided that they're going to get in bed with, with Vince McMahon and the WWE. It was motherfucking UFC because they're big enough to be able to, you know, buy out some of their biggest competition, or in some cases they have enough money to float around the idea of expanding their, you know, their network and reach with other, you know, combat sports adjacent, you know, partners. I'm not saying fucking WWE is, 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 is fucking combat sports the same way boxing and UFC are, but you know what I mean? You know, if, if, if Dana White or some other businessman was like, you know what, it would make sense to try to bring wrestling fans into the UFC family if they aren't already. Right. But if you're wondering, like, how come they keep making UFC games? It's because UFC is far more popular than boxing and there is no signs of that changing. And until that happens, they're just going to keep cranking out these games. Now, in fairness, to give them credit, they do not crank out UFC games the way that they crank out NHL and FIFA and Madden. Why? Because I just don't know what you would do every year to keep that game fresh. You are better off, you know, supporting it with longer um, additions to updates and modes than you are trying to make a UFC 2024, 2025, right? I think this makes perfect sense. It is a little weird that they took a hiatus, but maybe they took the hiatus for the year to try to address, you know, how they were going to take the power of the PlayStation 5 and the uh, Xbox, uh, you know, uh, Series X into consideration uh, with development of this new game. I really don't know, but we'll find out more in September. Until then, I guess keep playing UFC 4 if, if that is uh, that is your thing. Um, and for the record, if you are interested in uh, in boxing games, it's not like there are zero boxing games out there. Unfortunately, there's really only one at the moment, and it is currently uh, exclusive to PC. It is in early access. It's a game called Undisputed. Uh, I have not I've not played Undisputed, um, but it is in early access. It originally came out uh, earlier this year uh, in late January. It's about 42 bucks on steam. They have a roadmap of, uh, of stuff that they want to add to it. You know, um, through the rest of 2023, they want to have more than 50 boxers. They want to have a women's division. They want to have additional punches and move sets, uh, character customization, be able to uh, create your character and share your character, which is something fucking AEW fight forever. Can't even do again, very different game, but you know, whatever. Anyways, uh, that if you are interested, check out Undisputed. If you are missing out on boxing, I think it looks. I'll, I've, again, I've not played it, but Undisputed still looks a little rough around the edges. So we'll we'll see how uh, that game ships out. You know, as it continues to be updated uh, in early access. But yeah, that's kind of my quick little news story that turned into a much longer news story. Uh, so my apologies to that. Uh, ENOE is also working on their football uh, club 2024 game. Obviously, they don't have the FIFA license anymore. And uh, to be honest, I think EA Sports will probably do just fine without the FIFA license. I think FIFA is fucking toxic. I think it is hot, wet shit. Um, as far as brand, you know, trust and, and loyalty is concerned. And I think uh, EA Sports FC 24 will do just fine. It's going to have ultimate team. It's going to have rosters. They're going to put Manchester City star Erling Haaland on it. 
on the cover of the game. I don't know who any of that is. I don't know anything about it. It'll do just fine. It'll do just fine. All right, let's let's cover this um, Microsoft stuff. So FTC had filed an injunction um, preventing, um, you know, the idea was basically uh, attempting to block the the purchase of uh, of Activision. Uh, federal trade, uh, sorry, federal judge Jacqueline Scott Corley has ruled against the FTC's attempt to block Microsoft from the closing of its $69 billion deal. Now there is a, uh, huge amount of, uh, pages of legal documents that you can read through. I'm not going to read through that because despite talking about the law for the first half of this, uh, this podcast so far, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an expert. It's a 53-page document, and I didn't bother to read it, but here's what we know. Um, there is a July 18th deadline. This deal needs to go through uh, by July 18th. Otherwise, uh, Microsoft owes Activision billions of dollars. First, first part of the deal is that if Microsoft cannot successfully purchase uh, Activision Blizzard by July 18th, they owe Blizzard and Activision uh, over a billion dollars just because they were unable to, you know, they disrupted their business or whatever, whatever it is. Right. Now, the thing is, is that, um, the FTC is appealing that decision to the judge. So, um, they, they talk about how, like, you know, the judge didn't think that FTC, uh, relying so heavily on Sony CEO, our PlayStation CEO, Jim Ryan's testimony, uh, was great. The judge thinks that, you know, Call of Duty should be available on every console, including the cloud and, and all that stuff. But basically, as of right now, unless that appeal uh, is approved, um, Microsoft is one step closer to the purchase of Activision Blizzard. Now, one of the other legal hurdles that they need to go through is in the UK, the CMA. Upon hearing the news that uh, this that uh, the FTC um, uh, d- was struck down. The CMA said, you know what? Sony, uh, so, uh, you know, sorry, excuse me. Uh, the FD, the, the CMA said, Microsoft come back and, and talk to us again and let's, uh, look at restructuring this deal and let's see if we can come to some sort of agreement, um, as part of this. So the CMA is continuing to investigate, uh, Activision as relates to the purchase of Activision Blizzard. Um, but Microsoft could potentially, you know, you know, see the FTC get defeated once and for all if their appeal is denied. And if their appeal is denied, I think there's even less of, uh, of, uh, of, of leg room, you know, for the CMA to stand on as it relates to trying to cut a deal. But the CMA was very focused around not only believing uh, Sony's argument, which I've said time and time again, regardless of how you feel about um, this acquisition, I think Sony has brought a lot of bullshit arguments to the table. Um, but also that, you know, the CMA had such a huge focus on cloud gaming, which is a, um, which is a market that is barely, I would say it's non-existent, right? It is non-existent. So in April, the CMA said it was preventing the deal from going ahead, but, um, you know, they are currently in the process of not only trying to talk to the CMA, but waiting to see if that FTC appeal will get struck down. If they do, they got until July 18th to try to seal this deal 
Now, the other thing that, that Microsoft could do, and, and that's definitely been a possibility, is that Microsoft would consider trying to spin off some of its um, business into their own standalone companies, at least temporarily, to allow them to purchase micro, uh, to purchase Activision and just do business a little bit differently in the UK temporarily. Um, because spinning off, for example, spinning off Game Pass as its own um, business and saying... Game Pass is not going to have anything Activision related on it. It's going to be the same as it ever, ever, ever was, just minus Activision and and thus not affiliated with Microsoft because Activision is now owned by Microsoft. They could do something like that, but it remains to be seen. But we're basically we're looking at a point now where like the rubber is going to meet the road in a few days, you know, if possible. Right. And uh, we'll find out more very, very soon. Uh, we should have probably covered this in the other EA news, but we'll do this now. Uh, smoke on the street. A tire smoke on the street, I should say, is that a Need for Speed Most Wanted remake is coming next year, uh, uh, which is um, something that uh, Simone Bailey, uh, who voiced a character in the game, I forget who they voiced, but um, Need for Speed remake. Uh, sorry, a most wanted remake is supposedly coming next year. Now, if you never played um, Need for Speed Most Wanted, you might be confused. And it's okay to be confused. I'm here to set the record straight. There are actually two games called Need for Speed Most Wanted. There is the uh, 2012 uh, Need for Speed, which was put out, uh, which was made by Criterion. And I believe... Need for Speed Most Wanted is still available on some digital platforms. Speaking of availability to purchase games on PlayStation platforms, I'm just going to go to the Sony PlayStation Store right now and type in Need for Speed. It's not. Why would it? Of course not. Fucking, why would you bother? Anyways. Um, oh. Payback. Ugh. Okay. Nope. Uh, Need for Speed Most Wanted uh, 2012 is not the game that they're referring to. They're actually referring to the 2005 Need for Speed Most Wanted, which originally came out on PlayStation 3. I'm uh, sorry, not PlayStation 3. Uh, Xbox 360. Uh, PlayStation 2. Xbox. Now, one of the things about Need for Speed Most Wanted is that it had a commitment to FMV. They had live actors uh, doing the cutscenes and all that stuff in the game. And was, you know, uh, uh, you know, took the series and focused even more on open world racing and, um, and, you know, the cop, it had, it had all the, I should mention that like, basically it has everything that Need for Speed has today. It said, it's just that in 2005, it felt fresh and exciting and awesome and it was awesome 2005 was probably the best year for need for speed as far as i'm concerned most wanted is probably the 2005 most wanted is probably the best need for speed game ever made i'm pausing because i'm trying to think if there's a better need for speed game and i i i doubt it i seriously doubt it We've done this multiple times on the podcast, and I don't know why I keep doing this to myself. But let's take a look at other Need for Speed games. 
Unbound isn't better. Heat isn't better. Payback is not a better game. Need for Speed 2015 is not a better game. Uh, Need for Speed Rivals is definitely not a better game. Most Wanted 2012 is not a better game than 2005. The Run? Nope. Shift 2 Unleashed? Definitely not. Hot Pursuit? Hot Pursuit is a good-ass game. The 20, 2010 Hot Pursuit, uh, which was then which was then re-released on PlayStation 4 and stuff like that, that is a damn good game. It is not better than Most Wanted. I think at the end of the day, when you really sit down and think about it, you know, Carbon, not as good of a game. Pro Street, Undercover, Shift, Shift 2, nah, none of this. Some people would argue that Need, Need for Speed Underground in 2003 and Need for Speed Underground in 2004 were great games as well, and I'm not, I'm not saying they weren't, but I would say um, that 2005, Need for Speed Most Wanted, still to this day, the greatest Need for Speed game ever made. So if they're going to remake it, well, first of all, you cannot buy... Need for Speed Most Wanted, the PlayStation 2 game, on anything. So you can't go buy a digital copy of that game even if you wanted to. Um, but it doesn't matter because they're supposedly remaking it. And I say, let them. I would play that game. I would play the fuck out of a Need for Speed Most Wanted game. Anyways, there's. I could just keep talking about how much I like Need Put ra Give Razor Callahan... Is a motherfucker. That's all you need to know about Need for Speed Most Wanted. Razor Callahan is a motherfucker and uh fuck the police. Anyways, um that's that's really all I have to say about about that. That is rumors that's not been confirmed. And I'm just gonna say this, you know, it's not like uh Need for Speed Unbound fucking set the world on fire or anything like that, you know. EA continues to try to figure out what to do with Need for Speed, and they have been trying to figure it out for over 10 years now. And they're still not there. But I think a Most Wanted remake is probably one of the better ideas that they've had. I think, like, you know, the, the, the times that they've tried to take it, take a year or two off and add extra development time to these games and all that stuff, like, they've tried. I'm not saying they, like... Can, like they've gone out of their way to make pieces of shit need for speed games for the last decade plus. And I would say that most of those games are not even pieces of shit. I just don't think that they are reflective of the um, competition that uh, need for speed faces in the racing game market, both as it relates to, you know, simulation style games, whether that be something like Gran Turismo, whether that be something like the upcoming Forza Motorsport game, Assetto Corsa, or um, or any of these other type of simulation type games. Now, obviously, Need for Speed has never really tried to be a simulation game, except for Need for Speed Shift 1 and Shift 2, but fuck those games, it doesn't matter, because at the end of the day, Need for Speed is an arcade style uh, street racing game for the most part. There's cops and there's fast cars and there's whatever, right? But, um, you know, even the crew is a more successful, uh, driving series at this point than need for speed. And they've only had two of those games, three, if you count the, uh, Motorfest, which is coming out uh, later this year, right? Forza horizon has just eaten damn near everybody's lunch as relates to open world arcade style racing games. And, you know, 
Need for Speed is much more focused on the urban, right? The city, the, you know, the cops, right? Which is not something that really, um, well, the crew one, uh, definitely has a focus on cops in it. And, you know, because it's trying to replicate all of, uh, America, it, you know, it definitely has urban stuff in it, but EA has just been throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks for need for speed ever since the market changed in terms of what people want out of racing games. And here's the thing. I don't know what I want out of need for speed as a franchise. I do know that I would play a need for speed most wanted remake. So I don't know if they got me back as a fan of the franchise or just as a fan of an individual game. Right. But they got to do something. They got to do something. If they're not going to keep, if they're not going to make another burnout game, they got to do something. We'll see. Maybe it'll come out next year. Who knows? Um, a lot of people worked on Diablo four. Like a lot of people. You might be thinking to yourself, Nitwit, how many people worked on Diablo four? Well, it's a new record. 9,166 people were credited in making Diablo four. That is a small village. Um, now keep in mind that, uh, 475 people were credited under thanks, whatever that means. Um, I love this story from Kotaku. It's, it's such a great story because, um, they actually like compare, 9,166 people with, uh, the U S census data, which I find, uh, hilarious. Um, according to the U S census data, um, based on the Diablo fours credits, if they were incorporated into a town, it would be the 3,337th largest city in the country behind Manteo village, Illinois. It would make it larger than about 83% of all towns and cities in the United States. If you put everyone who made Diablo four on a, in a, on a fucking, in a fucking town, it would be larger than 83% of all towns and cities in the United States. That is mind blowing. And I think they did a great job. I think they did an amazing job. I think, uh, you know, I I'm going back and forth between what's my favorite game of this year. Um, which we'll, we'll talk about what I've been playing later on in the, in, in the show, but I've gone back and forth between what I've, what I've loved playing, um, uh, the most. And, uh, I think Diablo four is a fantastic game. It has its shortcomings. It has its faults, but uh, I love it. And I think, um, 9,000 people is fucking outrageous, especially for probably how long it took to make that game. But in the end, uh, assuming that these people were paid their fair share and not overworked to death and abused by uh, the powers that be, I say it was all worth it. Thumbs up. That being said, that's probably not how it went. I bet those people were underpaid and overworked, um, which is not unlike the feeling of having to slaughter thousands of demons in the video game that they made. For context, Assassin's Creed Odyssey had fewer than 6,000 people in its credits, GTA 5 had fewer than 4,000, and Elder Scrolls V Skyrim had 9,000 people in the game. That's right, 9,000 people uh, make the game. So, uh, yeah, the Diablo V's uh, credit sequence is fucking huge. 
And uh, well, you know, we've talked about uh, games getting bigger and bigger, especially with AAA. It won't take long until it takes 10,000 people to make a game. I'm sure fucking that Star Wars Outlaws game probably has like 23,000 people working on it. You know, all of all of Ubisoft and then some. Most likely. And then kind of finally wrapping up for news, uh, some Naughty Dog news. Uh, Neil Druckmann uh, is taking over Naughty Dog after co-president of 19 years retires. Evan Wells is retiring from the Last of Us studio after over two decades. The Naughty Dog developer behind The Last of Us and Uncharted is about to undergo a pretty big shakeup in leadership. Co-president Evan Wells has announced he'll be retiring and co-president and Last of Us director Neil Druckmann will be the sole president of the co- uh, company moving forward. Wells wrote about his departure on the studio's website, saying he's retiring from the studio after 25 years, but he, that he's confident in Druckmann and the rest of Naughty Dog's current management to lead the company in his absence. Quote, decision brings with it its overwhelming and conflicting emotions, but I've come to realize that I'm content with my time at the studio and all that we've accomplished together over the last 25 years. This is what Wells wrote. Quote, I couldn't be more confident in Neil's ability to can, uh, carry on running the studio. It's the right time for me to provide the opportunity for him and others on the studio leadership team to steer the studio into successful future. For context, Wells has worked at Naughty Dog since 1998 after a stint at Crystal Dynamics, working on the Gex series. That's the deep cover gecko to you and I. Uh, Wells joins the studio as a lead designer on Crash Bandicoot Warped and then worked on the Jack series, ultimately stepping into the co-president role in 2004. Meanwhile, Druckmann joined the studio in 2004 as a programmer on the Jack series, moving into the writing roles are moving into writing roles on the Uncharted series after becoming a director for the Last of Us uh, games. He stepped into the co uh, co-president role in 2020. Um, you know they kind of also talk about how you know the Last of Us live action TV series has been nominated for an Emmy and and all that stuff, but um, yeah, we're we're seeing some you know potentially seeing some big changes at. Uh, at Naughty Dog. Now that's not even counting for the fact that Sony bought Bungie. Bungie looked at the multiplayer game that Naughty Dog was working on and said, "That's not good enough. You need to reshape and rescope the um the entire project." And as such, that game is now in more limbo than it's ever been. And we don't know what's going to happen with that Last of Us multiplayer game. I think Naughty Dog's in an interesting place. I'm not worried about Naughty Dog necessarily, but Sony definitely sees a world in which they try to compete with every type of multiplayer focused online game under the sun, right? That's why they bought Bungie. That's why Destiny 2 is the game that it is, um, or will continue to be the game that it is for, for lack of a better. That's why Bungie's working on Marathon. That's why Sony decided that we need to make Ghost of Tsushima multiplayer modes. We need to make a multiplayer Horizon game. That's why we need to make a multiplayer Last of Us game. Like, you know, Sony is, uh, and and probably rightfully so, um, focusing on a world in which they compete with Call of Duty, whether it stays on PlayStation consoles or not after Microsoft purchases Activision. Probably rightfully so. That being said, when people think about Naughty Dog, they don't fucking think about multiplayer games. They think about the Last of Us story, the Uncharted story, 
the you know the, the you know the the changes that the you know the jack series saw over the years they're not really thinking about you running around shooting you know people in an online multiplayer deathmatch capacity but that is one of the things that you know sony wants to focus on hopefully that doesn't take away from uh you know studios like naughty dogs uh ability to craft story driven single player games that being said, I think if you were going to remind people that you are focusing on those single player, on those story driven games, I think promoting Neil Druckmann is not the worst idea, right? Neil Druckmann has been synonymous with a lot of the success surrounding, um, you know, Naughty Dog as of recent, give or take a couple of people, of course. And, and obviously it takes a village to make something like The Last of Us 2, but I think when we talk about big changes, it's not just what Naughty Dog is going to look like under the leadership of Neil Druckmann. It's also going to, you know, examine what, you know, how is Naughty Dog valued and seen within the larger structure of Sony now that it has potentially a new favorite toy um, in this case, Bungie. Are we going to see a Toy Story like scenario where um, Naughty Dog potentially loses its way as it tries to you know, scrape together that multiplayer game and get back to making those single player games, you know, and, and all that stuff um, as it competes, f you know, for resources and attention within the, the, the larger structure of Sony. Now that it has uh Bungie, you know, dictating some of what it does. We'll see. I, I'm not trying to make it sound all doom and gloom, but we shall see. Um, I've been playing some games. That's it. That's going to do it for news. Thank you so much for hanging out for this news segment. I have uh, playing a variety of games as of late. Last week we talked about um, Hogwarts Legacy and I thought to myself, you know what? I cannot wait to come back and tell you all about what I've been playing with Hogwarts Legacy. And I'm here to tell you that I barely played any Hogwarts Legacy um, for a couple of reasons. One. You know, I got the itch to go black, uh, go black. Um, I got the, it's terrible. I got the itch to go back and, uh, play some more Diablo four. You know, I am semi committed to trying to level up my character and unlock everything I need to. I feel that I need to unlock, uh, before that new season starts. And I've been grinding it out in, Des in, in, in Destiny 2. I've been grinding it out in, in Diablo 4. Don't get me wrong. I am a level 65 sorcerer. I feel like I've been 65 forever. That's one of the things I'll say is the leveling curve has been fucking brutal in this game. Like, I feel like it takes an hour minimum, probably more than an hour minimum, just to level up your character one time. Um, but as such, I've put a significant amount of time into it. I put about, I put about damn near 90 hours into uh, Diablo four so far. And part of that is just me trying to prep for uh, having every difficulty level and all that stuff unlocked for when that new season comes out. So I've still been enjoying my time. It's also like, you know, again, Diablo four is probably my favorite way to watch TV that is into wrestling at this point, because I can throw it on and I can just, you know, half pay attention to the game because even on the hardest difficulty that I currently have it unlocked, it is so fucking easy. Um, what I have a great, I'm still having a great time with it. I like watching the numbers go up. I like getting my loot and doing all that stuff. But, um, you know, I kind of did get pulled away from Hogwarts because I wanted to prepare myself for 
uh, when Diablo uh, four new season comes out so I can give that a shot um, because also I'll need to start a new character. So I'll eventually move away from the character that I'm currently playing and say goodbye, sorcerer. Maybe we'll see you in a month or two or whatever. But um, I want to get back to Hogwarts Legacy. There's no doubt about it. I am still very interested and excited to play that game. I just got a little distracted um, with my fucking like lizard brain ADHD being like, actually, we need to go back to to Diablo four. We have some unfinished business. That being said, I think Diablo four is a great game and I have nothing wrong with playing it. But you know, if I'm going to run this podcast, if I'm going to talk to you about news and, and video games and all that stuff every week, eventually I'm going to have to move away from some of the stuff that I've been playing because you're not going to want to hear me talk about playing Diablo four every fucking week for the rest of this year. Or maybe you will. I don't know, but I just feel like as a, uh, as a podcaster who talks about new video games, I should probably provide more of a service than just, uh, regurgitating my same takes on old games that I have been playing, um, for better, for worse. I have not touched any more final fantasy seven remake, uh, since getting Hogwarts legacy, but that doesn't matter because tomorrow, Friday, extra primal comes out and I will definitely, I can guarantee you right now, Friday, I'm going to get up. And hopefully it'll be out by the time I wake up and I'm going to play some Exoprimal. I don't know how much Exoprimal I'm going to play. I don't really know what to expect from Exoprimal besides it's a multiplayer game where you shoot dinosaurs and it's made by Capcom. That's all I know. We will have more to say about uh, Exoprimal next week. So, so come on back for that. And I'm assuming that I'm not going to have a chance to play. I'm just going to assume going into next week that I'm going to have not much else to say about Harry Potter because like when this podcast is over, I'm going to go straight back to Diablo four and keep grinding it out in Diablo four until I hit. I, so my goal, here's the thing you might be wondering like Vincent, what the fuck are you even doing in um, Diablo four? I need to hit level 70 uh, in order to unlock the, um, in order to unlock the highest uh, difficulty mode in the game. And I want that difficulty mode unlocked for when the new season starts. So really I'm just sitting there doing every possible activity. I can every side quest, every dungeon, every collectathon, whatever I need to do to rank up my character from level 65 to 70. It is taking a while and I'm enjoying the process, but damn, if it isn't just a little bit slow, but anyways, all I want to do like, cause I think that season comes out very soon. Yeah, so the new season starts July 20th. So um, next week, that season is on. So I don't know if I'm going to have enough time to play enough Exoprimal to talk about Exoprimal next week or enough time to get from level 65 to 70 before season one starts. But I'm going to try, damn it. That's my guarantee is I'm going to try. So if you're looking for more Hogwarts Legacy stuff, give me a, a, a week or two. Uh, closer to a, two weeks than one week. Um, to get back into it, I, I like I said, I want to get into it. I'm still very much focused on uh, trying to play through 2023 games, build out my game of the year list and all that stuff and see how Hogwarts Legacy compares with, you know, Dead Space and um, uh, Resident Evil 4 Remake and how, as an RPG, is it going to compare to something like... Um, Starfield, obviously very different games and how Hogwarts even compares to something like Diablo. So, um, just Diablo's hooks are still in me just a little too deep. I just, I can't, I can't fake the funk and I can't give it up just quite yet. Um, but, um, 
you know, hopefully I'll at least be prepared for when the season comes out. That's really all I can hope for and ask for at this point in time. That's going to do it for the podcast. I have been Nitwit. You can find everything that I do over at my Linktree, linktree.com slash Nitwit, G-N-I-T-T-W-I-T-T, Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, all of that good stuff in one convenient location. Come on back. Next week, we will have a lot to say about Exoprimal. I promise, at the bare minimum, we'll talk about Exoprimal and uh, and all that stuff, because that is out uh, tomorrow on game pass and, and PlayStation and all that stuff. I think it's only coming to, I think the only free service is game pass. Like I don't think exo primal is 80 bucks. We'll see how it goes. I will definitely be playing it uh, tomorrow when it comes out on game pass. So I'm excited about that. And uh, that's going to do for the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you all soon. Goodbye. <laughs>